This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Well, we're so happy today to be doing Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, what, what I really found special about the movie was it was a world the Marvel audience had never seen before. So we thank you so much for joining us on our virtual polytheater stage. It's, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So just in case the Q&A questions are not good, we have the karaoke machine ready to go to play Hotel California to confuse the audience. <laughs> that, that'll be great as long as I'm not singing. <laughs> <laughs> they actually saw him pretty poorly in the movie, too. So I think, you know, we'll be able to emulate the movie. Uh, yeah, we, we, ha- we had to tell we had to tell them not to sound too professional because they should be <laughs> they should be playing real people. So, <laughs> well, they definitely know. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're gonna go back to the beginning uh, of this. You know, Shang Chi has appeared in so many different comic books, crossovers. You know, the history in the Marvel. While sifting through all that source material, how did you land on the uh, the version of the story that you wanted to tell? It was actually before I I got this job I I was looking through this the source material and just looking for something that I could connect to um not only personally but also as as an Asian American I was just looking for the 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 core of something in the comics that um grabbed me and the the theme of the the father and son and a, a dad who who raised his son to be a killer and having that son grow up and turn into something that I don't think the dad really wanted him to be and and having that having that be the the core of our conflict I think was something that I I really connected with um and that was the the heart of the story that I that I pitched to Marvel. It it was a it actually was kind of going a bit away from the the comics because what what my exploration was not not just a, a father and son who are enemies, but um, a father and son who are broken by something, and that their relationship was shattered. And to to create a story that, even though technically in our, our our movie they are enemies, but not to forget that that there is deep love, even though it's skewed and warped, that there is deep love still between between them throughout. And that was kind of the the heart of the story that I initially pitched to Marvel. Um. So one of the things that stood out to me, because I have I have a lot of friends that are huge Marvel fans, and of course some that are, don't know the universe that well, uh, and they they always have a hard time. They always tell me they have a hard time following the stories because I don't know the Marvel. But in this one, it seemed very it was very accessible to Marvel fans and non-Marvel. Did you approach on the script making sure that you would be able to reach both audiences and even the ones that are not used to the Marvel universe? Yeah, I am one of those people that often get lost in a Marvel movie. So, um, it, and I, I have a, a very, very simple kind of weird mantra that I've stuck to since I was making short films when I was like 11 years old with my siblings. Um, 
at that point, the only audience member that I was ever making something for was my mom. She was the only one that wasn't in our short films and we would force her to sit and watch them. <laughs> and uh, so, so that's who I was always try, trying to please. So even though like my mom is, my mom's very conservative, never watches anything with a cuss word in it. So even short term 12 is like a lot for her because there's a lot of uh, F-bombs and throughout um but but my my goal is to is always to make a movie that i will relate to that my friends will relate to but my mom will also relate to um and i i've so far i've been successful and this movie was was you know i also had that mantra in my mind for this and my mom's never seen any any of the other marvel movies so i wanted to make sure that she would be also be able to get get something from the experience. Uh, let's talk a little about like, especially in the early drafts, crafting the villain. What I like, he wasn't the let's wipe out the world villain in this arbitrary take over the world. He had a very complex backstory, um, and I was struck by juxtaposing his love and warmth with his family, but his also brutality. Um, how did you go about when you were writing the script? trying to show the good and the bad in him emerge as one thing without being so black and white it was probably the biggest challenge of this movie was that we we knew that we had to have a a villain named the mandarin that has had been alluded to in previous marvel films um we also knew that that character um, carries a lot of baggage um, uh, in terms of uh, being a pretty stereotypical, um, you know, mustache twirling Fu Manchu type of of a portrayal of an of an Asian uh, trope, and we we knew that we had to figure out how to shatter that and to to make a, a character that was not contributing to that type of stereotype. Um, we also knew that we had to create a character that would be, uh, you know, complex enough that uh, an actor like Tony Leung might consider it. And so we, we started to, we, we stopped thinking of this character as the Mandarin. We gave him uh, an actual name, Wenwu, um, we gave him a, a, a real backstory. Um, we started to think of him as a human. And, and I started to, to see him really as a, um, a man who is battling himself throughout the movie, who is battling his own insecurities, his own need and craving for love and for um, acceptance. Uh, Tony Leung actually said this about halfway through the movie. He said he he told he told me that Wen Wu is a man who um, does not deep down he does not think that he deserves to be loved, um, and he he a, a byproduct of that is that even though he deeply loves his own children, he, he has no idea how to do that correctly. Um, and uh, I thought that was a pretty insightful way to look at that character. 
One of the other things that we touched on a little before is grief, which I found fascinating how grief and trauma affected each character differently. I mean, the sister was abandoned. Uh, Shang-Chi ran away, you know, he runs away and, you know, almost denies who he is. The father goes into bitterish revenge and denial. Uh, how did you uh, approach uh, exploring the theme of grief in different ways through all your characters? I have, there's, there's six kids in my family and uh, it is one of the, um, you know, over and over when there is a, a big event in all of our lives that affects us emotionally one way or another, we all, we all um, respond to it very differently. Um, and I, I thought that was, this was also the, the core of the, the story that I initially pitched to Marvel was um, the, the story of a, a family that was broken by a very um, traumatic event and that the the core beating heart of that family was gone and what what do each of these characters um do in reaction to that and watching starting the movie in a place where they are all scattered both emotionally and physically distanced from each other and over the course of the movie, watching circumstance and um, partially dad's combination of love and psychosis bring everybody back together and be, be forced to not only um, reckon with who they are um, individually, but also who they are in the context of their family. I think this is one of the reasons that this film is be able to relate to so many audiences, because like you said, we all, you know, people, siblings and know the pain of losing a parent or something like that. So this is very relatable, even though it's in a fantastical world. I'm, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> uh, you have several, several women characters who are all empowered in their own different ways, but all have a strong influence in Sean's life. How do you structure, how did you approach structuring the screenplay so that they, they, the female characters shape their own, your overall story, which is Sean's story too, but at the same time had their own individual journeys and arcs? Um, it, it doesn't, I mean, it, the same is true in every movie that I've made, like whenever there are um, clear arcs for characters that are not the, the, the main character, typically those are happening in draft two, three, four, five, you know, you're kind of, you're, usually my first draft those characters are like damn i gotta figure out something for them because they're just kind of there in act one and i don't know what they're there for for the rest of the movie um but if you are you know dedicated to all of your characters and giving them a reason to be in your movie eventually something you know a light bulb goes on and it was important for us um, from the very beginning. It, the idea was to surround Shang-Chi with, uh, with female characters who were all um, not only integral in his growth, but are, are all individually on their own journeys as well. Um, and it, it's, it is you know, p potentially an out, you know, it comes from my own upbringing with three being around three sisters and my mom being such a big influence on me, my grandma being 
one of the the biggest creative influences on me. Um, Dave Callahan, my my, my co-screenwriter, is also just uh, all, always always around female friends, um, very platonic female friends who are very very close to him and and played a big part in his life. So we're tapping into a lot of that in in the writing process. Yeah, I kind of like, and some of my actually the women students in in you know in my class mentioned that they liked how the women were not seen through the lens of a male gaze as a director. They were also not rivals of each other. So I felt they were kind of rich in things that we haven't really seen before on the screen. That's, I'm glad, I'm, that makes me very happy because uh, I love all those characters so much and definitely didn't want them to fall into any kind of cliche. All right, let's, let's talk some uh, casting. What did you see in Seymour Louis that made you think he could play the dramatic, comedic, as well as the physically demanding parts of the character? Seymour was, I mean, we saw a lot of people for this role. And we, we were, um, I mean, for me, the number one thing that we wanted for Shang-Chi was relatability. We wanted um, somebody who who was of, I mean, ideally somebody who was of Chinese descent um, and, but, but also felt very American and would surprise you regardless of what your ethnicity is, would surprise you with how American he is. Um, that, that was really, I mean, the, the truth is I don't, at the time, I don't think there's any other actor on the planet who could play this role. Um, Simu Liu was, was, you know, he, he grew up in China. He speaks perfect Mandarin. Um, and he is incredibly westernized. Like he is, I mean, he's from Canada, but he, you know, he, he is like, a uh, and the, an American jock, like he just, you know, he's obsessed with, with basketball and sports and, um, and video games. And he's just, he, he's like a, he's a dude. Um, he, he also contains this, uh, he has something about him that I think is, is actually very difficult to replicate on, um, on screen and only certain actors have it and it is this ability to just feel very at ease and relatable and um feel like oh that could be my friend um and that's really what we wanted for this character and in the the comics um shang chi was you know modeled modeled after bruce lee in a in a sense and was this dude who was um typically walking around without a shirt on and a red headband, even if he was in Times Square. And he was always like the clear outsider of, of American um, society. And we just felt like we've seen that before. I personally, as an Asian American, haven't seen really many um, films that have portrayed the culture that I grew up in or that my friends operate in. Um, and it was very exciting for me to have uh, a cast like Simu and Aquafina to paint the, that, that portrait of that American, um, Asian American kind of experience that I really haven't seen before. 
Uh, and also, we need an actor to go up who could go toe to toe with the legendary actor Tony Lewing. So you need somebody who could, you know, stand up. I wouldn't ask you why did you cast him because he's awesome. <laughs> but what what did Tony like? What did what did he bring to your character that really kind of surprised you or special? What did Tony bring to the dad that really was special? I mean, I never thought that we would ever in a million years get Tony Leung to be in this movie. Um, he, this, this, you know, he, he wasn't doing any Western movies at the time that we, I just went out on a whim and tried to contact him. Um, there isn't like a clear way to get to Tony. Um, Marvel doesn't really mean much to, to him. Um, the, the truth is like, um, uh, we we some we we somehow got got to him and he knew that we were interested in him doing the role and he agreed to have a a, a meeting with me a, a a zoom meeting like this um i later just discovered that he he told me that he took that meeting but he was going to tell me that he wasn't going to do the the project like he had already made up his mind that he wasn't going to do it um and it's probably good I didn't know that, but I um I got on the, the call with him and I wasn't I wasn't trying to pitch him or convince him. Um but I just I don't know, we just started talking about the character. We started talking about family, we started talking about our own families, our own relationships with our parents, and um and it it was just a really wonder wonderful conversation. And from my standpoint, I was like, I mean, Tony Leone might never do this movie, but I'm having a great conversation with Tony Leone, so I'm stoked. <laughs> um, uh, and when when we got off when we got off the the call, I had no idea if he would do it or not. But um, there was something about that conversation that made him uh, decide to do it because within a week he was signed on. So, well, I mean, it's a great. Um, I mean, it's one of he gets to play, you know, family warmth and like the great, but multiple sides of the character, a brutal side in one second. I mean, it's a great part for an actor to sink his teeth into. Yeah, and I, I really do think that if there's anybody that is going to really shatter this stereotype of of um, the the evil fatty Asian man, um, Tony is the the perfect person to do that. Um, and like I said, I, it, it was it was to me very revelatory when he when he expressed where this was coming from, how he was how he was playing Wen Wu um, as a man who was really desperately trying to figure love out and just couldn't could not figure it out because he was just constantly getting in the way of himself. Now, you mentioned Aquafina. I mean, we, we've seen it before. She's very funny, but also very dramatic. Uh, I was struck by her dramatic skills, actually, in this movie, especially. Um, what led you to cast Aquafina? Um, Aquafina was our first, first casting choice that we made. Um, we knew that we wanted Shang-Chi to have a, an, an Asian-American best friend. Um, who who would be kind of become 
kind of the surrogate sister and her family would kind of become the surrogate family that he has escaped into. Um, and she, you know, Aquafina was the first person to come to our mind. Um, and I, I met her in a little coffee shop in, in LA and we just hit it off and I love her to death. Now, I mean, the sister character, you have a real character abandoned by her brother. It felt like a very real sibling relationship between me. Uh, you know, she did set up an, you know, an underground fight club, which is awesome. Uh, this was her first role, like her first film credit. Uh, what did you see in her in that situation to cast somebody who actually had not acted before? Sarah Finn, our, our casting director, who does all, all the casting for Marvel, she she did a lot of a lot of searching um all through china for this role because we we wanted something specific for for the um Ling character we wanted an actor out of mainland china um whose primary language was mandarin um but who could also speak english um but we 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 really wanted to to have this these two characters the Shang-Chi character who moved to um, America and has become very Americanized to be um we want we wanted that 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 culture class to be naturally woven into our actor which we found with Simu and when it came to to Shielding we wanted to find somebody who was who really represented the current youth culture experience of somebody living in modern China, living in a city like Shanghai or Beijing. Um, and Munger, we found her, um, she was living in Shanghai and she was doing um, musical theater there. She's a, if you ever have a chance to hear her sing, she's like, she'll like blow your mind. Um, the, the, I mean, the voice that comes out of that small frame is is pretty insane. Um, but she, her audition was just very free and unexpected and sassy. And she, she just didn't really have, she wasn't trying to prove anything. She was just like a very free spirit. Um, and it was a, a very special uh, audition that she she really, she didn't even know what she was auditioning for when she sent it in. She just did a home, a, a tape at home and sent it. And next thing when she knew, we were flying her out to Sydney to come and do and do a, a screen test with Seema. It's probably good that she didn't know it was a Marvel movie because that might have stressed her out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you about Michelle Yui. So, uh, so I'm, this is kind of a fan question because I love her, Michelle. Uh, what was your reaction when she said yes? Um, I mean, I also love Michelle Yeoh. She's, uh, she is, I mean, she's a goddess. Um, it was, I mean, it's, it's the same reaction I had when Tony signed on. Like the fact that we, that we have um, Tony Leong and Michelle Yeoh and Sir Ben Kingsley all in one movie was just, I mean, my, I, I felt like I was getting a, a front row ticket to like the best show in, in town. Um, and 
these these actors were very intimidating for me to, um, to initially when I first met each of them. I was so awestruck and and intimidated. But what I found very quickly was how um, gracious they are, how curious they are, and that kind of the, the the power of their performances that we see on screen is actually a result of a very open childlike um ego less uh per persona like personality that that um all of these actors possess even though truthfully they have every right to be very narcissistic and full of themselves but they they really aren't they're the most hardworking. they 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 worked way harder than the younger generation of actors i mean they would all uh, i think everyone would admit these that the work ethic in 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 these actors is like very clearly the reason why they have gotten to the place that they've gotten so now we'll get into some scenes you start the movie in mandarin uh which is a very interesting way to start especially a marvel movie i've seen before how important was you introduce you know, the family backstory, you know, the culture in your opening uh, scene, especially with the mother and father. When it came to what what language each character should be speaking in this movie, it, it, there wasn't, it was very practical. We, we just asked ourselves, I mean, these are all bilingual in the case of Wen Wu, the idea is that he's multilingual, like he, he could speak anything. Um, so our, our question in every scene was just what what would they be speaking um, in, in these scenes? Uh, is there a reason for them to be speaking English or would they be speaking in, in Chinese? Um, in the opening of the movie, there was really no logical reason why anybody would be speaking English at that moment. Um, so we, we left it all in, in Chinese. We weren't sure if the if the studio or if the audiences were going to like that. Um, but we, when we started doing our test screenings, um, from the very beginning, we were asking what they think, what people think about watching subtitles for the first twelve minutes of the movie, and it was oddly, it was always responded to in a positive way. Um, so, it, which was surprising in a really great way. Um, I think people just felt like they were taken into a, a world that they weren't expecting pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have to talk a little bit about your working with your cinematographer. I mean, that, if we just start the opening, the romance fight scene was wonderful. It looked beautiful. How did you, you know, work with your cinematographer to create kind of the overall look of the film, you know, and especially the way the characters interact in the space. Bill Pope is a very, he's an incredibly thoughtful um, artist. And he, he would, you know, we would just go through the script. We'd go through the script and talk about emotions and talk about uh how things should feel we would talk about certain references and um the the general aesthetic that we wanted was was really to to start the the beginning of the movie to to feel like um to feel 
like the story was being told to feel a, a little a little fantastical in in the, the the first 12 minutes of the movie but once we land ourselves i don't know if it's 12 minutes but whenever we land in san francisco um that it would it would suddenly feel more grounded and that we would we would find our our footing with shang chi and katie in san francisco in a in a way that did not feel like the Marvel version of San Francisco or the Marvel version of the Asian American experience. We actually wanted it to feel um, much more realistic there. And as Shang-Chi gets pulled further and further into this journey, we knew that we had to ultimately get to an aesthetic that would allow for a giant demon monster to <laughs> crash through a gate and have a huge creature on creature fight um so at, as we progress through the story and go you know cross dimensions into an uh into talo that the um aesthetic would you know dial a little closer into the fantastical it's all about the grounding, especially early. I was really struck. I love the scene where you mentioned like Sean's kind of been adopted by Aquafina's family. I yeah. love the moments of, like the, the culture, the, you know, Katie kind of getting with her mom, like, hey, mom, you're American. Uh, but then also the differences of where later we see during the dinner scene with the dad questioning, like, don't forget your Chinese name. How important for you there to kind of show the different like Asian American culture, you know, Sean was being bullied, not fully accepted in both worlds. How important for you to cover all that, showing the cultural experience, you know, in both sides? I mean, in a lot of ways, that was the most important thing. Uh, we want we wanted this um, these characters to be very reflective of our own experience um, and the, the experience of our our friends uh, and. So all of all of those the the scene with the family, um, truthfully, if you think of it just pure pure plot wise, you could you could lift you could just cut that entire scene with the family and you wouldn't lose anything plot wise. Um, but I I think you you would lose quite a bit character wise, um, and you would lose a lot of the the um relatability that i think um whether you're asian american or not that that scene is so full of of cultural references that i it, it gives you kind of the anchor for who these characters are and and where they're coming from uh now sean and Kay's relationship it was refreshing to have a genuine friendship you mentioned almost sibling it's, instead of being pushed into being a romance uh, how did you want to set that up early, especially when you take the valet scene, which was hysterical, but making sure their their relationship seemed a little more friendship, sibling, not you know just the typical let's get them married or something. It was a it was a balance that we had to keep trying to find. Um, there, it's you know if you have too too many looks between two characters even if you think that they're friends all of a sudden the, the audience is like wait what are they are they secretly are you telling me they're having sex on the side what are like there's just um and we 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 found that balance through through testing the the movie and getting audiences reactions to that relationship and um fine-tuning it to the place where we ended up 
All right, so obviously your film has some martial arts. Uh, what was the training process like for the cast? It was pretty intense. Um, I mean, Sima had it the worst. He, he was the first to sign on. And basically, as soon as we were in soft prep, still in L.A., he started training. Um, he's, he's a pretty physical person, which was very helpful. But he, he did not have martial arts experience. So um, he, he went through quite a, a transformation from September through, you know, we started shooting the beginning of February. So his training uh, was pretty intense throughout that time. Um, Munger as well. She'd never done any kind of fighting at all. So as soon as she showed up in Sydney, she also joined that that training. Um, I promised them that I would also join the training along with them and and just go through it with them. And I unfortunately didn't even show up one day. <laughs> so I, I really broke that promise. Uh, they got really in shape and I just got more and more out of shape as, as the days went by. <laughs> well, I haven't ridden the bus in a few years and I only vaguely remember fights breaking out like that in my younger days. Uh, I love the natural setting of the bus. Instead of, you know, it felt like a real space where characters would actually, this could happen. Uh, what were the challenges of shooting the, the bus sequence, which obviously was your first big fight sequence? First tons of challenges for that bus bus sequence um we the the biggest i mean the biggest challenge is you can't just go to san francisco and shoot that kind of stuff live um so we had to ship we shipped three of those giant accordion buses um out to to sydney we put through them on barges and shipped them out to sydney um, and then we put them on a stage in, in Sydney. One was up on a gimbal that was about 25 feet in the air and was able to take the bus at a 45 degree angle to level and was also able to twist twist and, and shimmy this way and that way. So you could kind of... From the interior of the bus, you could kind of do every every motion that we needed it to do as it went down the hill. Um, we had a second bus that was flat on the ground, but would be able to shake and and rattle. Um, so depending on the stunts we we're doing and depending on where the bus was in its trajectory down the hills of San Francisco, we would decide which bus to shoot on. Um, the other challenge was just mapping out and coordinating at what point in in the fights um the the bus was at a certain point on its run that we had created and it's definitely a bit of a fictional run because you can't really constantly go downhill anywhere in san francisco for more than maybe a minute um and our sequence is going downhill for about five minutes um, so we, we created kind of a, a fictional run that's, that, um, we, we mapped out beforehand when we scouted in San Francisco and then we, we shot all the interior. And then after that, we went and got plates in San Francisco to match where we were, where they should be on the interior 
got those plates and then we shot all the exterior big car crashes and bus crashes. Well, I like if I mean, I love the, you know, obviously the fight scene between the brother and sister was a great intro for the sister character, the bamboo locations. But I was really struck by how you seem to always slow down the action to focus, not just a fight, to focus on the character. Mm. So that's something we like, we just don't want to have a crazy martial art. We want to be actually grounded in something about the character. Is that something you were thinking about in those kind of sequences? I mean, I, I actually, I tune out when action is just action. Um, I think the, the, I mean, the reason I love, and I, I think the reason most people love Jackie Chan movies um, isn't because the martial arts is amazing. I mean, it is amazing and the stunts are amazing, but what really keeps you engaged is, is him. It's his human moments of getting hurt, of going, ah, of like, um, of, of him getting his, you know, butt kicked in the middle of kicking butt. Um, that's, that's the human part that, that keeps you, uh, engaged in, in the, in the fight. And for this movie, it was, it was really important to make sure that every action sequence was doing something to our characters was either, you're either watching a relationship build or break apart your some action sequences are literally the physical representation of a verbal argument that they would probably have and be have uh having if this was a drama um and so that that's kind of the the place that we started at with every every fight sequence in this movie was what are the character moments and then it was very important to figure out where in the fight we were going to tell those character moments, whether it's through little dialogue beats, like when brother and sister have it out on, on the scaffolding, just really briefly when, when Shang-Chi says, you left us for dead. And she says, and Xia Ling says, now you know how it feels like just in two lines, you kind of know what they're. Um, and then the fight continues. Um, but a lot of times it's just through looks through through two characters um, when you have when you have a, an actor like Tony Leung and and Fala um, together, all you really need are two looks to tell you exactly what they're thinking. Now, obviously, the mother is the heart, you know, the heart of the family. Um, and you had a lot of flashbacks showing them. And I was struck like we the decision to let her we don't see her die, but we see Sean's eyes watching what was your process of thinking about how you want to weave in the, the mother flashbacks to kind of you know as a heartbeat of your story i mean mom dying was definitely like a that was also something that we found in in the edit room it was it was sadly we we're editing it right around the time that that a lot of this violence was happening and the um the murder of some uh Asian females, um, and we it, it 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 didn't we we had shots of her, um, not necessarily being killed, but we had more in your face things that might have been a little more dramatic. But it just did not it just didn't feel right. Um, 
and playing those scenes just purely from Shang Chi's perspective was was always much more impactful and emotional and making you uh, imagine what actually happened. Um, it was interesting. Like after we um, we watched the movie together, I mentioned in our virtual green room on uh, Tuesday, and we have a theater and we got to watch it. And most of the students had never seen it on the big screen, only on their laptop, so they were excited. But it seems like when I said, "What was your scene that was most impactful to you?" They all kind of hovered around the same scene, oh, the dinner scene, when the father questions Aquafina about, you know, don't what is your Chinese real name and how he's trying to regain his name, you know, stuff like that. What was what was your thought process? Why would that? Why do you think the scene is resonating so well? Because it was it was a lot going on, I think, character wise. But wow, I mean, I've never, I've honestly never heard anybody reference that as one of their most impactful scenes that's cool um i mean i also really like that. <laughs> i really like that scene um i find that you know it's it's the first time in the movie that you start that you you start to see that wen wu is not oh, what you what you think he is um uh i i think you 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 start to realize that he's much more human than I think you expect. Um, and the, 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 I, you know, it's also the first time that we're seeing there, there's a lot of emotional, uh, emotional tension that's bubbling in that, in that scene. It's the first time that this family is all sitting together since mom died. Um, so I, it doesn't, I mean, I've always connected to that scene. It makes me happy that other people are too. Now, I, I uh, love the script, and but I do have one question that leaves really unresolved for me, and I, and I can't, you know, it's basically what Ben Kingsley asks. I'm going to ask you, how yes. did the director of Planet of the Apes get those apes to ride horses? That's, that, is a, that is a really good question. I have no idea. That's, that's movie magic. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned Ben Kingsley earlier. I mean, how? I mean, he, I, 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 I mean, I've grown up with him, watched him. So he's a wonderful actor. Just his comedic timing was amazing. How was it for you guys to see that side of him, getting to direct that side of him? Because he's hysterical in the movie. Yeah, he's. Um, it's it's funny because he he takes comedy very seriously, and that doesn't mean you know that doesn't mean that he's. I mean, he's having a blast, um, but but he doesn't just show up, show up and just start like improvising. Um, he he. I mean, the, the like he asks so many questions about these the character and I have to be on it um, when I go into his trailer before we start, because he's he has he has so and so many thoughtful questions, so many ideas. Ideas, and we kind of just go through the script and uh, that we're going to shoot that day. Um, and it's, it, it was, it was actually a huge learning experience to work with somebody at that level and to see how many angles he looks at a character from, even if he's playing, you know, the, the, the fool of the, of our movie, he takes, he really wants to play that fool from a place of um, of depth and 
and doesn't want Trevor to come across as just, you know, just a shtick. And so, and you, you, you see it in his performance. Like um, he's, he's not really phoning anything in, um, which was such a pleasant surprise to me because there's a, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, oh, this is like, this is a Marvel movie. So this is, this is like Sir Ben's payday. And he doesn't really give a this. He's just going to come in and like get his paycheck. But he really cares. All these like Tony Tony Leon really cares, and Michelle Yeoh as well. Like they, it was it was so inspiring to me to see them come on to the set and take it so seriously um and while still having a lot of fun so that, that part was very great one of the other scenes i mentioned the scenes where i was hey students what was i always like asking what was your favorite scene or most scene and one of the other scenes that came up is when sean learns to fight through her aunt the way her mother like get to talk to mother's ways yeah. yeah and that fight is more with patience and grace where his father taught him brutality uh how did you see that sequence as a way, you know, to reveal Sean, how it would become one inside him? I'm very happy that people like that scene. It was um, our, our, uh, one of our great choreographers, Peng Zhang, who's from, uh, from mainland China. He, but he, he, he's also a Wushu champion himself. Um, he choreographed that um it actually was very lately choreographed because <laughs> we were working on so many things that 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 one just kind of we weren't able to get to it really until um about four days before we were going to start shooting so pong um who is really incredible uh took took um those those four days i mean he was also doing a lot of other stuff but he'd he'd come in after work and and start sh uh, figuring out what the choreo would be and we but we knew that it was supposed to be playful we knew that this was um a this is an ant um teaching basically teaching her her son how to how to let go of his hate and it's not it's not like i would i would argue that it's not even hate against his dad it's a hate against himself and that that there and it, it really was a very simple lesson that comes down to that moment when he's doing this and she just does that um and they start to dance together um it it actually you know sometimes the the timing and the pressure of a schedule um does some magic and in this in this case because we had to rush and because we had to do create this choreo so quickly um i i think something kind of uh um, there was a, a naturalism that kind of bubbled up into it and it, it, it was a bit more, more exciting and off the cuff. Um, and, and that, that playfulness that, that you see between 
between Shang-Chi and his, his aunt really came out. Well, and it was nice because I think the, without him learning that his mother's, really his mother's art, uh, we wouldn't have been able to buy dad at the end of the movie sacrificing himself for his son when he saw that she, he had that. Do you feel that was kind mm-hmm. of important for you? Because you had to earn the end with the dad sacrificing himself. Do you think that kind of helped you reach that point? Yeah, I mean, I think I see Shang-Chi's journey um, as as really a journey of self-therapy. <laughs> um, I, I, and, and step one, step one is that moment that he has with with his aunt and and really at the end of that he doesn't quite learn learn a a full lesson by the end of that he's just posed with a question and and told um given a, a nugget to think about and really it's just like stop stop hiding stop running and for the first time um he sits down and and tells his best friend what actually happened um i think that was step two of his his self-therapy um and he's not still not quite there because now he's and he's gonna kill his dad um i think i think part of step three is like getting to the point where he could kill his dad he's just finally unleashing all the emotions that he's been just kind of bottling up um, and then he he finds healing with with the memory of his mom and with with his involvement in her death at the at the bottom of the sea. Then he finds some healing with his dad, and then finally he finds healing with his sister. Um, uh, when he finally decide ultimately decides not to not to leave her at a moment that he arguably should maybe should have. Um, I think all of that is what, to me, like he's he's now kind of ready to be this this uh, super superhero, um, and that's that's kind of like the for for me that's the 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 real heart of this story is watching watching Shang Chi finally learn to love himself. Well, we have a time for a few questions from our audience. So one of my student producers, Professor Green, is going to join us. Aileen. Hello, Aileen. Hi, Aileen. Hi. Um, so Shang-Chi is a great film. So we've got a lot of great questions, um, but we only have time for a few, unfortunately. Um, our first question is from Aubrey, who asks, um, what did you take away from the production of Short Term 12 that you brought to a big Marvel blockbuster like Shang-Chi in terms of writing? Short Term 12 um, is, there's actually weirdly a lot of similarities. Short Term 12 is a, a movie about characters who are dealing with the pain of their past, who are learning how to um, find find some type of healing. Um, their their healing in in that movie is uh, in in a lot of ways similar to Shang Chi's because it's rooted in community. It's rooted in relationship. Um, and uh, so so yeah, there's a lot of thematic connections between between the the two. Um, Short term twelve taught me. Really, at the core, it taught me the power of 
of simple uh, human emotions on screen. Um, the the power of a scene that that on the page may not read as exciting enough. And those were some of the self doubts I had before shooting short term 12. I was just like, this, this is just people, two people talking in one room. Then there's two people talking in another room. Now there's two people talking in another room. It's just a lot of talking. <laughs> um, but it, it taught me really that like, uh, with the right actors communicating emotions that anyone can relate to, it can be extremely engaging, even though it's 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 uh, seemingly very simple. Um, we've got another question, um, an anonymous question um, that asks: Part of the film was made during a time when Asian communities around the world, especially here in America, were facing a disproportionate amount of discrimination due to misinformation about the pandemic. Um, did these stories or conversations about this issue impact or affect the making of the film in any way? I mean, those stories, I mean, if you're, if you're of Asian American um, descent, you're, you are always affected by those stories. Um, and they were, a lot of them were, were really coming out while we were shooting um, really it, it to me it was it was an, an encouragement to all of us that we are telling the right story at this moment and um it you know it didn't feel like it was part of our jobs to like make our movie more political or to try to tell a big uh moral point um i think the the power of our movie is telling a, a story that is relatable to anybody so but by the end of it it's it's surprising to somebody that they were able to spend time with all these asian faces and actually relate to all of the things that they're going through and i i hope the subconscious byproduct of that is um when they see an an old man or woman um on a street who who owns the the chinese restaurant or convenience store around the corner that they will see them differently they will see them um not as a one-dimensional stereotype but they'll see them as a mom or a grandma or that oh that's that's like Shang-Chi's mom and I like Shang-Chi and the, you know so those types of things are I, I hope um, are a contribution to society in some way. Yeah okay so we have one question we like to ask all of our guests for script to screen um, the big finale um, as we are an academic institution we would like you to pretend you're a professor for a moment um, if you were to assign one movie for students or any aspiring screenwriters to watch um, for studying screenwriting, um, which would it be? I actually just recently, I've been watching a lot of a lot of Pixar movies um, with my son because I now have a four year old, um, and there there is something. I mean, I I loved Inside Out the first time I watched it, and I watched it again 
and I loved it even more. Um, it it is, it's it's pretty extraordinary how many levels are are working um, simultaneously in that movie because because you're dealing with the emotions in a character's head and you're falling in love with those characters, but you're simultaneously contributing those emotions to the the character of the little girl as well um and it, there there's so many things that that are working on on that in that script that i think it would actually would be pretty fascinating to just analyze and and understand how those how those emotions are are playing together and how they can communicate like so clearly to a 4 year old but also be in intellectually and philosophically engaging enough for an adult mind to really enjoy. Um, I think it'd be pretty interesting to study. Well, we're so glad we got a chance to talk about this wonderful film. Uh, and of course, in, in next year is the 10th anniversary for Short Term 12. So we'd love to bring you up to our theater and do it in live in person. That'd be fun. We should get some of the actors to come too. That's a, well, definitely. That'll be wonderful. It's such a well. Thank you so much for joining us and the audience for joining us today. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.